At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 464th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who taps into the many benefits of backyard botanicals. We're talking with Nicole Finkelstein about urban herb farming. Nicole is a doctor of oriental medicine, licensed acupuncturist, and registered herbalist who was raised as a naturalist on her family's berry farm in rural Ohio. She spent much of her childhood exploring the plant kingdom and testing botanical remedies passed down through generations of Appalachian healers. With over a decade of Western and Eastern herbal study, she founded Urban, that's spelled H-E-R-B-A-N, Urban Austin, an herb farm in Central Texas, where she cultivates botanicals for both medicinal and culinary use. Welcome to the show today, Nicole. Are you ready to rock herbs? Let's do it, Greg. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. So I spent most of my childhood, uh, like you mentioned before, growing up on my family's, uh, it was primarily a strawberry farm up in Ohio. So I've pretty much been in the farming community since I was born. I just kind of stepped out on out of the womb and under the ground pretty much. Nice. And, uh, and pretty much I tried to get involved as much as possible with a lot of community gardens. Always had an interest in growing, not so much herbs, but just other fruits and vegetables. And then upon relocating to Austin, Texas, I started going to school for Chinese medicinal herbs and got registered or got licensed as a licensed acupuncturist and doctor. And it was actually through practicing with my patient or practicing herbal medicine with patients and prescribing a lot of the medicinals to help them along their healing journey that I realized many of the botanicals that we were sourcing were coming from, you know, overseas, like a majority from China. We were getting things even within the States that still were grown on large scales over in Eastern Europe and things like that. So just the overall carbon footprint and the potency of the medicinals that we were sourcing never quite sat right with me. And after a couple of years of being in practice, I realized that my greater calling was more toward the actual production and cultivation of medicinal and culinary herbs. Nice. So there's a lot of naturopathic doctors out there and acupuncturists, but I'll bet, yeah. not, I'll bet not so many of them are growing their own herbs. That's exactly right. Uh, it's interesting too, because it's, uh, it's a niche market that has a high potential for profit, particularly in the United States, because we don't have a lot of herb farmers uh, for Chinese medicinals or even for Westerner, uh, Western botanicals as well. Awesome. So what kinds of things are you growing? So we are growing up to 52 botanicals on our farm right now. Out of six acres, we're currently working off of one acre and gradually expanding. We source a lot of botanical material 
for local practitioners. We also offer herbs for skincare lines. We have a downtown farmer's market that we make tea blends and tinctures and salves for the general public. And then also in the greenhouse, try to grow as many plants as we can start for other people to start their growing journey as well. Cool. So what kinds of things are you actually growing? So we have um, a lot of like the popular ones that are coming up right now. Like we have big stands and rows of echinacea, yarrow, holy basil or tulsi. We're also experimenting with some Chinese medicinals, like what's called boho. And uh, so that's Chinese mint. Um, We have like different chrysanthemum varieties. So really it's beautiful because you look out on the farmland and it's a lot of flowers and really aromatic, potent herbs that are just surrounding us at all times. Well, one of the things I noticed, especially about my basil, you know, my culinary herbs here at the Urban Farm, basil and oregano and marjoram and thyme, they put on flowers that bring in the pollinators at a crazy level. I'm, and so I'm sure that you have lots of pollinators there. Oh, so many. We actually this year just interested uh, a few apiaries because we really wanted to increase the production of our flowers and the potency of our herbs. And they just work synergistically with one another. So we've noticed actually a huge crop boost just in this year with having our bees on the farm. And that kind of feeds into our overall sustainable, uh, our sustainable agriculture practices that we try to incorporate at all possibility on the farm. So tell me about that. When you talk about sustainable gardening practices, what does that look like? The herbal industry at this point in general kind of is pulling from a lot of unsustainable practices, which is what motivated us to kind of offer practitioners a little bit more of a sustainable method. And what that looks like is using a lot of polyculture or polycrop growing methods as opposed to monocropping, getting those pollinators really boosted as much as possible by providing them with blossoms at any given time. Like if I go and I harvest a stand of calendula, let's say, I try to leave at least one third of the blossoms behind for the pollinators to encourage their thriving, their growth, and their survival. We also have chickens on the farm, so we do a lot of composting and manure. A lot of the herb scraps that we use are cut trimmings. We'll give to our chickens, so it's all kind of working in one big ideally holistic system that we're still still fine-tuning, but it's uh, it's really working out wonderfully so far. After growing food here in the desert in Phoenix for over, oh. over 40 years, I've found that it's a ongoing learning process. I'm still learning. Absolutely. Urban Austin's mission and philosophy. Tell me a little bit about that. So we basically started with the mind to have, uh, again, providing like a sustainable, supportive product for a botanical product for a lot of practitioners in town, as well as other like skincare lines, a lot of chefs that we work with downtown as well. Our main focus is in earth stewardship. A lot of the soils that we're working with out in East Austin tend to be very just hard, heavy clay, a lot of alkaline really just stuck together. So we really work on kind of regenerative agriculture to get those soil levels up by incorporating a lot of organic matter using a lot of compost teas. We have primarily organic practices that we use on our farm. And it's just our overall mission just to make sure that we provide potent, medicinally viable herbs, more potent than what a lot of our practitioners can get on the mass market. A lot of times we see herbs that are coming out of these mass producers that have been shipped overseas that are, they they lack vitality, they lack Mm -hmm. color, they lack life ultimately. And that leads to a reduced product and a reduced effect for their patients or their, for their skincare product. So we're giving them something that's locally sourced, something that they can feel good about giving to their patients or putting into their yeah. products. Wow. When I, I have, my listeners know that I have Lyme. So I visited with a uh, 
Chinese medicine practitioner for a year as we tried to address some of the symptoms. And we were successful at some and not successful at others, but his wall of herbs and medicinals that he pulled from was amazing. There had to be 200 different things on there. Oh, absolutely. Especially Chinese medicinals. There's over 361 different medicinals in their herbal pharmacopoeia. Wow. And Mm -hmm. there's a certain thing that each one of them do. There is. So all of them uh, individually will work on different organ systems. They work together in formulations to kind of help one another synergistically reduce any toxicity. And that's really what the like uh, the practitioner will work on is formulating those herbs and tailor make and tailor formulate a formula specifically to you as the patient. Awesome. So let's dive into how your farm actually started. So you ended up in in Austin and you're being a naturopath, Chinese medicine doc, and you decide you want to start growing herbs for medicinals. How'd that happen? How'd you go from, oh my gosh, I should do this to things actually growing? As soon as I landed in Austin, I got involved with our thriving local like garden community and our local farm community, which is really fascinating because we're operating here in an extreme climate environment. Like we have extreme heat, as I'm sure you can imagine. We have also like breezes and floods and droughts, everything kind of comes this way. But we still see that there is, again, this thriving community of farmers. So I started off while I was in school, I would supplement my income as a greenhouse manager for different companies, or I would work with different urban farms around town and just kind of understand how different the Texan agriculture is from what I grew up with in Ohio, which is a world of difference, (laughs) as I'm sure you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then it ended up being through those connections that I was able to secure uh, a beautiful spot of land right off a bike path, kind of bordering a creek. And from there, it was thing I started with my greenhouse and started to sow the seeds and kind of get them growing there. And then just really experiment to see what's going to work here. I also was consulting with a lot of nationwide herb farmers, like Peg Schaefer with the Chinese Medicinal Herb Farm over in California Zach and Melanie Carpenter over in Vermont working with medicinal herbs as well. And it was through their connection, their network, and their guidance that I really was able to get something flourishing, not just, you know, surviving, but rather thriving. Awesome. I'm a lifelong learner. I love learning. And my whole organization, the Urban Farm and Urban Farm U, is all about teaching people how to do this for themselves. From what I see with what you're up to, you're also an educational space. Absolutely. I'm right there with you, Greg. It's one of those things where it's through community involvement and kind of working together to create these changes within the industry, within the food world, within the medicine world, the herb world, that we learn the most. And so that's one thing that Urban Austin has kind of incorporated a little bit more so in our practice is taking on people who might be interested in not full-scale herb growing, but just growing botanicals for themselves, like for their family, creating a little herbal farm cabinet in their garden, so to speak. So we offer a lot of classes and teach them about sustainable agriculture practices, teach them a little bit about what herbs grow best in our particular area, encourage them to experiment as well, and then also try to take them on different plant walks to see what the native plant species are in our region, edible plants, medicinal plants that are found all around us. So you're doing some wild foraging. Yes, definitely. Primarily, we try to steer away from that a little bit and just encourage people to observe in nature, but then learn from it and take to their backyard. Because wild crafting, again, is one of those practices. While it's amazing and it's definitely on the up and up as the herb industry tra- like transforms in the landscape a little bit, more and more people are starting to wild craft and forage their medicinal 
And uh, that's fine in other areas where there isn't highly populated metropolitan areas. Because what we see here is we have a lot of herb schools in Austin, fortunately, but that also creates a lot of herbalists who all are kind of working off of the same public land. Mm -hmm. And that can decimate a plant species or a plant stand. So we're trying to show people, like, observe from nature, grow in your backyard, on your patio, wherever you possibly can. Nice. And so when you talk about herbs, you're not talking about hemp. You're talking about medicinal herbs from the Chinese and Western traditions. But you're, you're kind of dipping your toe into hemp as well. We sure are. It's interesting because uh, Texas just recently passed a bill allowing us to start growing hemp on our lands, which is something that's really exciting for our entire farming community. And we're already seeing a lot of people hit the ground running with that. Our farm in particular has just started sourcing seeds, and we're going to start experimental growth with that, focusing on primarily the production of CBD oil, but then also what we try to do on our farm is utilize the entirety of the plant. So all those other wonderful benefits that we have to hemp, like the fibers, just the protein source as well. So we're working with that. Again, it's a whole new venture that we're just really excited to get started with. Uh, that's what I tell people all the time. Growing food is one great big grand adventure. We have to go and experiment. Absolutely. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned oh, from it. Definitely. It's, you know, in growing so many different botanicals, like again, over 52 at this point, I have to be completely honest that failure is something that we run across on a weekly basis. Right. <laughs> so it's it's just you're constantly having to see what works, what doesn't. Some things I run into working with a smaller piece of land starting out with plant spacing. I found that while I was trying to shove as much as possible and utilize the space as efficiently as possible, that some things grew a little bit too closely or maybe they grew larger than what I had anticipated, which was great. But it led to issues of like mass qual or crop failure due to mildew or fungal issues. So that's been real interesting. The other thing I can point to is learning kind of what farming practices are going to benefit the plant and keep the plant healthy. Because we have this extreme climate, particularly in the summertime in Texas, I found that if you harvest or spray at the high points of the day, it depletes the plant to such an extent that in doing so, we actually had crop failure with doing that. So that was another big lesson for us that we've definitely kind of revamped our practices and operations. Wow. Yeah, I've been playing with trying to vegetatively propagate out some papayas that are growing here on the oh. uh, here at the urban yeah. farm. And so I've, I've mm -hmm. tried air layering, which basically you wrap soil around a branch and see if you can make it make roots. That wasn't successful. And I've oh. tried, I've tried taking cuttings in several different places. And what I keep running into is mold yes. that shows up mm -hmm. and takes them out. Mm -hmm. What do you do in that case? So we try to utilize as much like natural material and kind of actually use the word or herbs to work and help one another. Mm -hmm. um, so we use a lot of plant-based foliar sprays in that particular case. I even use like for, we get powdery mildew a lot on our Minarda plants oh, yeah. down here, mm -hmm. especially in the humidity of the spring. So using like milk, actually taking the oregano clippings that we have and just kind of boiling them down a little bit and using that as a foliar spray. Nice. That helps a lot, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Oh, it really does. It saved us this year. <laughs> so what do you consider your biggest success? You know, it's interesting because as I venture out more so in the community and get a chance to talk with growers and gardeners and farmers, my biggest success that I'm seeing is people who are willing to take that next step and try growing this herb that they've never grown before or grew before to try incorporating some herbs into their overall grow plan 
just really seeing people take that bold step and then trying to be as much of a support system for them and as much as a guide as we possibly can. That's been huge to see. Yeah, that's, you know, that that is one of the themes in the answer to this question is that mm. getting input from the people that we teach, the people that we share with is huge mm-hmm. for a lot of us out there. So Absolutely. virtual high five for you. Woo! <laughs> so what drives you? You know, it's really, it's again, coming from the stance of a practitioner, it is seeing that industry change occur. It's seeing more and more people go from maybe monocropping uh, mono and just focusing on one particular, you know, like soybeans, corn, you know, whatever, whatever they would like seeing them move to maybe diversifying their plant, their grow plan a little bit. Because again, this is niche farming, but there is such a need and such a demand for it. Our production right now actually can't meet the demand that's out there. So it's it's a big thing that we want to try to educate as many growers as possible to start maybe thinking about growing these medicinal herbs or even for the chefs downtown, start to grow your oreganos, your tarragons, your basil, you know, um, there's a big, big need for it and not enough people are doing it. Yeah, exactly. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Oh man, we have a Bible on the farm that we often turn to and it's the Organic Medicinal Herb Farmer by Jeff and Melanie Carpenter. That is, again, they're up in Vermont and they were hugely instrumental in helping us. But that book, they they just do a great job. And a lot of things don't necessarily translate from region to region, but it's a great starting guide. It helps you with the tools and just really understanding the plants that you're kind of uh, going to be propagating. Cool. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? My best piece of advice is to educate yourself as a grower as much as possible on the botany of the plant, particularly plant families, because if you are going to be diversifying or diversifying your crop plan, it helps to kind of have this overall understanding of like, what, how the mint family responds to different water levels, different soil levels, what diseases tend to hit that particular family. Lamiaceae and then also Asteraceae are primarily what we grow on our farm. And just understanding just the growing patterns, the, the botany and the biology behind those particular plants has really helped us organize things a bit more. So just understanding the plant biology is probably the best thing you can do. Also, I'd say if you're not feeling equipped to kind of diving into like full-scale herb farming per se, just incorporating companion planting into your garden space, your growth space is phenomenal. I mean, um, to help with bugs, you can put basil with tomatoes, as we all know, cilantro with spinach, nasturtiums with squash. I mean, that diversification can really just boost your grow growing capacity and just uh, maximize your garden space so you really have a beautiful spot of land and some good food that comes out of there. Well, and, and I would guess that by species, you probably have the same bug problems then so exactly yeah so you it would be easier to treat if you have multiple different varieties of plants in the same species then it's going to be the pests are going to be easier to manage absolutely it's interesting too because in growing herbs they naturally are more pest resistant so you run into less pest issues because Mm -hmm. those aromatic herbs and bitter oils really don't appeal to those bugs or those deers or those rabbits which is great so it's easier. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Nicole. Absolutely, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you bet. And how do our listeners get a hold of you? And you actually ship herbs. So tell us about that. We do dry bulk herbs. Um, we do ship all across the continental United States. Uh, if you're within a, a good spacing of central Texas, we will ship fresh plant material to you as well. 
And uh, you can find us at urbanaustin.com. That's our website. And you can kind of watch and follow our journey. We're really heavily involved in Instagram. And that's going to be found over at urban underscore Austin. Yeah, that's where we are. Excellent. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash urban Austin. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.